And welcome back to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my terrific co-host, Jonah Tools. Jonah, how's everything going today? Man, it's going great. We got uh, we got a new college football playoff. It's set in stone. We, we talked about it for months, and now it's finally here. We know who's playing who, and I'm ready to break it down, man. Yeah, so it is Pride Sticker Monday. Also, the college football playoff rankings, we finally got our four Four teams that are officially in it, and just recapping it, LSU at number one. They will be going against Oklahoma, and there's always a team in that fourth slot that we said we didn't know who wanted it just because every team just seemed to lose this weekend that was in contention for that fourth spot. Right. Utah was the main one. They ended up losing to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. There were some others that were in contention for it as well, but Oklahoma was the one team that we said it was a possibility if Utah ended up losing to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. That ended up happening, and they ended up overtaking the fourth slot. And the other game, Ohio State at the two seed going against Clemson at the three seed. I think that's the game everybody will be having an eye on the most. But we will get into that. We will get into that more in this second segment just because there is so many intriguing matchups and storylines in that game. So with that being said, it is Pride Sticker Monday, and we know this is always our favorite part of the beginning of the week. So... Your three players this week, who was your first one? Man, I'm going to start right off with Friday night's action. Pac-12 championship, Oregon versus Utah. The most impressive player on the field for Oregon in this game, other than I think the true freshman, Kayvon Thibodeau, I'm talking draft-eligible guys. The most impressive draft-eligible prospect in this game was Troy Dye, their senior linebacker. And the biggest game of this season for him, he had the best game of this season. That's going to mean a lot for scouts. I think when scouts look at players' tapes, they want players to look better at the end of the season as opposed to the beginning of the season. So they progress. Troy Dye has had some ups and downs this year, but he's played his, he's played his best football towards the end of the year, and that showed against Utah. Eight tasks and instant sack. This guy kept making play all game. And big thing about his coverage value. That's a full display. Utah I cannot wait to see him in the ones in Mobile. He gets my pride sticker for the week. My first one on this Monday. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. And opinions seem to be kind of mixed on Die, just because there are some concerns about just his weight, uh, just how athletic he is. But I think those are two of the things that he does the best as far as. You know, he's able to overcompensate for his weight with how athletic he is and how instinctual he is uh, playing at that Mike position. Now, I think he's probably more of a Sam at the next level, but he has experience at all three positions uh, as far as, you know, Sam, Will, or even Mike linebacker. And he's been at the center of everything uh, for for the Ducks during his entire career. And, you know, he's been a tackling machine. He's been the team leading tackler for the past three years with over 100 tackles in all of those seasons. So, uh, with that being said, Troy died. I mean, he was all over the field. And, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, Thibodeau was the name that got the most notoriety after the game, after he did record two and a half sacks. But Troy died definitely was all over the field. And I know you're a huge fan of die, but I did want to ask you, do you think he's more of a day two guy? And do you think he's more second or third round? Yeah, and I think it just it's just going to depend on the team because, you know, he's kind of that limited kind of player in terms of, I think, early down value. But, man, that pass coverage, what he provides in the passing game 
something that is going to him for a lot of class. So I think absolutely he can be a day two pick. It's just going to depend on a team believing on believing him as an every down guy. But yeah, I think if you put him in a weak side role, this guy can this guy can definitely be a second or third round pick. We've seen other guys like this, Bobby Okariki, similar kind of player out of Stanford, got drafted by the Colts last year on day two, and I think that's where Toy Dyes is going to be. Definitely. So I'm going to go ahead and go to my first prize sticker. And of course, with me being a former quarterback, I have to start with the quarterback, man. And this dude, we could have handed him the Heisman Trophy a couple of weeks ago, but he <laughs> just somehow continues to strengthen his resume. He's most likely going to be the number one overall pick, uh, depending on who has the first overall selection. It's looking like the Bengals are still going to be in the driver's seat for that. And I mean, as soon as they are able to obtain the number one pick, they can go ahead and turn in the card, even though the draft is far, far away from now. But we know he is going to be the number one overall pick if the Bengals end up end up do selecting first overall, and that's Joe Burrow. You talk about a guy that's just a gamer, man. And I thought Tony Romo was the comparison that both of us have used. And it's not just his jersey number, but it's just the way he moves around, the way he operates and everything associated with it. I thought he was just a magician in the pocket, and that's exactly what he showed in this game as well. And throughout the season, he's shown that as well. He finished with 349 passing yards, four TDs, and even 41 rushing yards where he was able to get out of pressure and get out of harm's way a lot in this game. And I thought he just absolutely shredded the Georgia secondary, one that has some experienced veterans on the back end and some players that we'll be talking about in the future as well, J.R. Reed and Richard LeCount or probably one of the best safety duos, uh, if not in the SEC, also in the country. Uh, they have some very con- uh, confident corners and very good corners, I should say. Eric Stokes is, even though he's a younger corner, only, only a redshirt sophomore, he's a guy that we're probably going to talk about uh, later on, maybe not this year, but definitely for the 2021 draft if he doesn't end up coming out this year. But he absolutely shredded this defense. And Kirby Smart, we know he's a defensive coach. He's known for having these vaunted defenses. That's really the identity of Georgia for the most part, and he just absolutely shredded them. Yeah, and I don't know what, you know, really the knock is going to be on Burrow this draft season because mostly it was like, oh, he's a one-year wonder. This guy can't. This guy was playing like this towards the end of last year too, so I don't think you can really knock him on that. I mean, he doesn't have like those premier, you know, traits in terms of arm talent or arm strength, but man, this guy's anticipation, pocket presence, poise, ability to maneuver and get away from, you know, traffic in the pocket. This guy is just so much more advanced than anyone else in this class. And I know Tua, you know, when you compare Tua and Burrow side by side when they're both healthy, it's a little close. But at the same time, you know, considering Tua's circumstances, I think Burrow has clearly separated himself as a top quarterback prospect in this class and the clear number one overall pick for the Cincinnati Bengals next April. Without question. So moving on to the second prize sticker, who do you have as your second player? Man, I got to tell you, dude, we talk about this guy every week. It's J.K. Dobbins. This yeah. guy was a monster against Wisconsin. This he guy was. showed us a complete package. We've talked about him before. He, I think he's prime Ray Rice when he was with the Baltimore Ravens with how he's built low to the ground. He's elusive. He, he can provide you value as a pass. When Ray Rice was in the NFL, one of the biggest things about his game that no one uh, really recognized was how good he was as a pass protector and player in the passing game. This is the, That's what Dobbins can provide for an NFL team. That's why he's going to be an every down back. And that's why I think a lot of teams will have him possibly as a top running back on their board just because he can do everything. I think that his all-around skills, he showed out against Wisconsin, both as a runner and receiver. I love how elusive he is, but he finishes every run forward. 
I love his contact balance, love his power. I love really everything about his game. I know people are gonna knock him for his size and kind of his lack of overall athletic traits compared to like Travis Etienne and Jonathan Taylor. But man, at the running back position, you know what he does at the combine is not gonna scare me because he may not have the straight combat performance of these other top guys. But at the running back position, that does not scare me at all. I want to do that. The tape is the most important thing, more importantly at running back than any other position, I think, in scouting. And Dobbins, to me, has every trait you want, whether it's vision, pass protection, you know, contact balance, whatever it is. This guy can do it all. I'm all in on J.K. Dobbins next April. I think he's starting to enter draft crush territory for a lot of people just because he's so consistent, man. And that's something that's really hard to find at the running back position. And we see guys that have these 150 to 200 yard rushing performances, and then they'll have a dud of a game like 50 or 60 yards. But with J.K. Dobbins, he's been consistent throughout the year. And it's not just as a rushing threat. He's been really good as a pass protection from a pass protection standpoint and also his value in the passing game as well, which I think he's made his biggest strides as a whole. And I would I really want to give kudos to Ryan Day just because he's done a really good job of not only being able to show off Dobbins as a running threat, but also involving him in the passing game as well. And I think that's where he's made tremendous strides. So J.K. Dobbins, he's definitely going to be, I would say, a second-round pick right now, and he's going to be an immediate starter for some lucky team. Oh, yeah. And you're looking at a team like Miami Dolphins who have multiple picks in the first and second round. and then Yeah, I like that fit. They, they need, like, a face of that running game or that face of the offense. You assume they're going to take a quarterback with one of their first early picks. But, you know, in that, that second round there where they have multiple, you know, selections, drafting a guy like Dobbins makes a lot of sense that they want to really retool the identity of the offense. And you know Brian Flores, who comes from that New England tree, J.K. Dobbins is their kind of back. So that makes a lot of sense for Miami. It definitely puts you in the mode of that Sony Michelle type of body type and also playing style as well. So, I definitely could see that fit in Miami, uh, but we'll get into team fits as far as with the prospects later on down the road, and that's something that I'm really excited to discuss. But going into my second player, and this is a game that really was interesting at the beginning, but after halftime, it just completely got out of reach, and that was between Clemson and Virginia. The final score ended up being 62-17. to 17. It definitely got out of reach uh, following halftime, and you know, coming out of the third quarter, this player did not even play in the fourth quarter. So he racked up 182 yards and three touchdowns. And that's oh, T. Higgins. Man. T. Higgins from Clemson. And I think T. has kind of been slept on this year just because Clemson doesn't let him run a wide array of routes. They like to keep it pretty simple for him as far as the quick slants, hitches, outs, and also an occasional route down the field every now and then. And then what what Clemson's offense is a huge part of is that it's very RPO-based, and you see these guys running a lot of quick slants based off the running game where Trevor Lawrence, he'll see the safety entering the box, and the way you know they match the defense's numbers is that they'll run a slant right behind that safety's head, and that's exactly what a lot of T. Higgins' yards have come off of this year, but I thought they really let him run a full complement of routes in this game. So you see him running down the field, the deep goes down the field, the deep posts, and Justin Ross did a really good job in this game as well. But I thought they did a really good job of allowing these guys and catering to their skill sets. And that's exactly what you see with T. Higgins. And just him being 6'4", around 210 pounds, the way he moves around, you really just – it's rare to see guys move around and be as fluid as he is. So I'm a big fan of T. Higgins, and I think he's kind of been slept on in the process. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a case to be made that there is not a receiver in this class that's better at the catch point. T. Higgins. Yeah, this guy's I, agree. Still, what is, I think when you look at just his length, 
and his leaping ability, his timing, just his size. He has that profile that no other player I think in this class has in terms of just getting the ball and being a jump ball winner. And I think that's going to translate the most in, in, uh, in terms of this class and other receiver prospects. That's what's going to separate him. And, I think, and the NFL values that. I mean, we saw Nikhil Harry go in the first round. Um, to the Patriots. So, like, uh, the NFL is going to value that. And T. Higgins, the thing, what he does is that he can separate against man coverage as well. It's not like he's, you know, this big plodding receiver. This guy has that speed to win over the top and create that vertical separation that other players like, you know, like guys like Laquan Trevor or Josh Doxson couldn't do in recent years. So, I, I think, you know, having that ability to both separate, you know, in, in, in man coverage as well as at the catch point is going to be a big sticking point for Higgins going into next year's draft. But yeah, I'm a big fan of him. He's going to be in my top 10 receivers on my latest big board update. I think he has a legit shot to be drafted in the top 50. I think the NFL is going to value him really high. And we've seen we've seen pretty much everybody, everybody's rankings as far as from TDN and some other sites as well. And I keep saying that T. Higgins kind of has been slept on throughout the process just because I think he brings a little bit more of a, a wide array of skill set than maybe some other guys in this class. But he is a bit more limited in some areas from other guys as well. But I think with how his game, I think it caters to the NFL game really good. And I think the NFL is going to value him really high. So I'm excited to see how the NFL does feel about him. But before we get into our last player for our prize stickers for the week, I want to remind our listeners about Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audio books and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible free trial. You choose one audio book and two Audible originals absolutely free. You can visit audible.com slash locked on NFL or locked on college. You can listen on the go. If you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from locked on sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. So getting to our last prize sticker of the week. I want to ask you first, is this a game that you were able to watch this weekend? Did this player play in the game that you were able to watch this weekend? I'm not sure everyone else and I'm telling you this is the, the Sun Belt champion the Sun Belt championship <laughs> between the fighting Raging Cage versus Daniel Jeremiah's of Appalachian State and let me tell you <laughs> there is one very good prospect in this game I think of his season at Senior Bowl invite Senior Bowl acceptance guy Akeem Davis Gaither, the linebacker for the for App State, and this guy is kind of hybrid um, safety linebacker, kind of like the Hamza Nazaldeen for Appalachian State. He kind of moves back and forth as like the overhang role. If you watch Blake Cashman at Minnesota last year a lot, that that's kind of how Appalachian State plays Akeem Davis Gaither. They don't play him truly as an inside linebacker, um, but he. You know, he kind of shifts everywhere on different downs. And you can see why this guy has the speed and the range to keep up with slot receivers, tight ends, and man coverage. But he also has the power to really, you know, I think be an asset on early downs. And I'm really interested in watching the mobile to see him go up against NFL speed because to me, I think he is a top 100 pick. He is my, I think, not to mention any spoilers, but my new big board update coming out uh, next weekend. He'll be the sixth-ranked linebacker on my – and that's because I think that he fits what the NFL wants in today's modern NFL linebacker. He had 10 tackles in the Sun Belt Championship against Louisiana Lafayette. He was a factor in coverage all game long. This is a guy that I think fits what the NFL looks for in today's move linebacker. 
I think he can be used as a chess piece the next level. The big thing with him is to be the senior bowl and him transitioning to, you know, speed and better competition. But if he shows up well there, he could have a huge rise coming in his pre-draft cycle. So, funny story about Akeem. And a lot of people don't really know this just because I haven't really shared it. So, his dad actually recruited me in college. And his you dad is a long... Yeah, you told me that. Yeah, yeah his, his dad is a long-time uh, college position coach. He's been in the... He's been around... He's been everywhere, man. He's... He's um he's been in the game for about twenty years now. He's currently the receivers coach at Western Michigan. He's he's moved all over the country uh, during his tenure in college coaching. But I actually got a chance to see Akeem grow up and just seeing what he has turned into today, man. It's just it's just really cool to see kids grow up and then expand and really seeing him blossom like he has. It's just really cool. And I can't wait to, you know, catch up with him down at the senior bowl. And I think the NFL is really gonna fall in love with him even more once they see the type of person that he is. Seeing his body type, he's one of those guys that's gonna win the way in. There's gonna be a lot of oohs and ahs when he does step onto the stage just because he has that chiseled rock rocked up body that you love to see from those linebackers. Now he is a bit thin as far as he, he's kind of bit he's a bit high cut as far as his build, but he plays so strong through his top half. He runs through tackles, but he's not he's not scared to put his face mask on people. He's very athletic. He can run with those tight ends and slot receivers and coverage. So I think he's a player. He's he could have a rise, and I'm not saying he's gonna be an all pro like this guy was his rookie year. But you talk about a guy that rose like Darius Leonard did after he did at the Senior Bowl, uh, what they were able to see. I think he had around like 15 or 16 tackles in the Senior Bowl game. And I think Akeem Davis-Gaither definitely could have that type of impact uh, once he's leaving Mobile to position himself to be a firm day two prospect. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that. I think this guy's going to be a great player at the next level. And I think whether it's just productive, you know, the big reason why he's going to get early snaps to the NFL, whether it's, you know, as a special teams player yeah. or a guy that's in coverage because he offers things that you know, that make you earn snaps, right? He's going to be reliable in coverage, and this guy is going to be a reliable player on special teams as well. So, you know, he's going to have a, a roster spot on the active roster on game days. Um, so, I, I'm a big fan of ADG. I think he's going to be a top 100 pick. I think the NFL is going to value him a lot higher than where draft community has him right now. Um, so, he, yeah, he's been my sixth-ranked linebacker in my latest update. And I, I just, I'm just really sold on his, you know, his speed, his instincts, and his ability to play in coverage. This guy's going to show out at the Senior Bowl, and he's going to rise. So get on the train before it starts leaving the station. Definitely. He's definitely a name that I think is going to rise into day two contention if it is not there already. But I'm staying in the Appalachian State game against Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette. Oh, and okay. I was I was watching this game and this is it, he was a player that was on my radar before but I still haven't had a chance to actually sit down and study him. And his name actually came up in our Slack channel as asking, I believe it was Ben did anybody he asked did anybody actually watch this player. And I seen it but I didn't answer just because I've only seen one game of him and I still haven't had a chance to study him in depth and that is going to change this week. So his name is Darrington Evans, the running back from Appalachian State. And if you go back and watch him in this game, he was terrific. He ended up with 136 yards of rushing and three scores in this game. He is your typical outside zone back that you love. And you see him in a system like the Minnesota Vikings or, you know, the San Francisco 49ers, teams that are heavy zone laden as far as, you know, getting ball, getting the ball to the edge and just allowing these guys to create once they get there. 
And that's exactly what he does in this App State offense. They don't really try to run him up the middle a ton, even though he he's capable of running those inside zone runs. But whenever he's able to get out on the perimeter and create, he is able to do that. So keep an eye on the name Darrington Evans, just because he's a name I think that could rise throughout the process. And I'm interested to see exactly if he does end up uh, declaring this year to see exactly where he does go in the draft, just because I think he's a guy that could be one of those late day three selections that ends up being that 1B type of running back that is a great complement to that 1A uh, star-studded running back in a committee. So keep an eye on Darrington Evans. He definitely is a name that I definitely will be keeping track of during the process. And he's one name that I did write down this weekend after studying or after watching the Sunbelt game. I should say, just because he was he was fantastic in that game. And that's exactly what you want to see uh, out of these championship games, just because there are some names of some guys that you don't necessarily know or they're not necessarily on your radar. But that's the great thing about watching some of these championship games. You see some new names come up that you want to go back and watch the film on. And he's definitely one guy that I did have written down. Yeah, and here's the, here's the interesting thing about him. And, and now this was the first game I actually really watched on him. Um, the, and, but it was a great first impression. This guy looked good at, like I said, as an outside zone runner, but also in the passing game. And yeah. I think it's it, only two targets were, went for touchdowns, right? I mean, he had 63 yeah. yards on two touchdowns. Um, he's a big play threat. He has, you know, all that in his arsenal. But when you go back and look at his resume, this guy did the same thing last year, too. I mean, he had, you know, averaging six yards per carry, 1,200 yards. Uh, this guy it has the resume of a running back prospect, you know, that you want to look after here. But I think what's interesting is that he might be at the senior bowl uh, if, if he ends up declaring because he's been at Appalachian State for, I think, four-plus years. He, he went to Appalachian State his first year was in 2016, I, and he had a medical register in 2017. So I'm wondering if he's already graduated um, college. So I'm, that, That's something we're going to have to look into. Yeah. But if he declares, he might be senior bowl eligible. I'm not sure. It's almost like the Anton Winfield situation where he's you know technically only a junior. But he has that eligibility. You know, he's he's been there for a while. He might have already graduated academically. So it's gonna be interesting to see if we can see him down in Mobile, and really kind of make a name for himself as a running back prospect. I'm hoping so, just because I think he could enter the mix as far as you know a very talented running back class at the Senior Bowl. Man, the Senior Bowl is absolutely loaded this year. But that's another topic for another day. We could spend like two hours just debating on who already has declared and some of the players that we're already excited about. But before we move on and we finish up with the college football playoff, previewing the matchups between LSU and Oklahoma and also Clemson and Ohio State, here's a quick word from our sponsors. All right, and we are back. And the first matchup that we are going to discuss in the college football playoff, just because I want to save Clemson and Ohio State, just because that definitely is the headliner matchup between the two in my opinion. So LSU and Oklahoma, that is going to be the first matchup uh, that we see on December 28th, I believe, uh, during the college football playoff. And this is very intriguing just because Oklahoma isn't necessarily known for their defense, of course. And I think this is going to be a really long game for them trying to defend Joe Burrow and just the plethora of weapons that he has in the passing game. But on the flip side, we get to see Jalen Hurts finally at the helm of his team uh, going against LSU a defense that really has struggled this year, but they still do have plenty of intriguing pieces throughout it, throughout the secondary. We know it's led by Grant Del Pitt, Derek Stingley Jr., Christian Fulton, and some other names as well in that secondary. Uh, the second level is really good, Patrick Queen, and that linebacking group is really good as well. Defensive line, Clavon Chason, Rashard Lawrence, and some other names along the way as well. So the defense definitely has some names at all three levels, but Jalen Hurts, CeeDee Lamb, 
Those are the two headliner names on the Oklahoma offense, and I can't wait to see how they match up against this LSU defense. Oh, my goodness. This is going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> this is yeah, going to be an I agree. bloodbath. Oklahoma's defense is what you call not good. Yeah. Um, Sands, Neville Gallimore, and Kenneth Murray. This team really doesn't have any NFL defensive talent. This is a team that gave up 48 points to Kansas State. (laughs) They gave up 41 to Iowa State. This team is not ready for the onslaught LSU is coming for. They have not faced an offense like this all season. Not even close. Not even close. And with the struggles Oklahoma's had offensively in terms of decision-making from Jalen Hurts and and just offensive line issues, this is a team that I think is going to struggle a lot this game. And you're talking about LSU, Derek Stingley, who had a monster game against Georgia, two interceptions. He'll probably shadow C.D. Lamb, I would assume, unless you want to – because you have Christian Fulton, who's also a really good cornerback prospect, so they might not need to do that. But at the same time, dude, this LSU defense, it may not have, you know, in terms of the pure stoutness of, a, you know, of defending the run or any of that, but this team has a bunch of playmakers in the back end now. Fulton, Stingley, Delpit. If if Hurts makes if Hurts makes some bad decisions, he's not gonna get bailed out by a lack of playmaking ability like he's playing against these defenses in the Big Twelve. These LSU defenders will make him pay. It's the best defense he's faced all year, and that's saying something because LSU's defense has not been good this season. So I think it's gonna be interesting to see how he fares against LSU's playmakers on defense. And I want to see if Oklahoma can do anything to stop Joe Burrow because I don't think that's gonna right. happen. No, uh, no Joe way. Burrow could likely throw over five hundred yards and five touchdowns this game and I wouldn't be surprised. So I think this game is going to be heavily favored towards LSU um, just in terms of the play style and the personnel on the field. Definitely. And this is a question that I meant to ask you a couple of shows ago, and maybe it's just me. So I've watched a couple of LSU games live this year as far as like sitting here on television watching them. I have not noticed Christian Fulton at all, but maybe that's just a good thing especially with the cornerback when you don't notice guys that means they're not getting beat and they're just doing their job but he just hasn't made any plays to me and we always see Stingley and Delpit for whatever reason uh negative or positive they're popping up on the screen but he just seems to be a guy that's just fitting in this year and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that but is it just me or I just haven't noticed him this year and now here and here's the thing I think you haven't noticed him this year because I don't think he's getting talked about I think Stingley this big year he's had as a true freshman, he's getting a lot of the notoriety, right? Yeah. But I think when you go back to the All-22 on these games, you're going to see how well Fulton has played. And and you, you know, I mean, there there's already, you know, some tape. Out of, you know, Fulton is a guy that I think – I've already seen some All-22 on Fulton this year. And he's a, he's been a guy that's been, I think, better in covers this year than he was last year. Yeah, I agree. I think he was lights out last year. This is something that I think he's I – mean, even though he's not getting the ball thrown his way, that's probably a good thing because that means he's sticky on his guy and there's no, no opening for the quarterback to throw to. Uh, I think he's played you know, better in man coverage. I think where you want to see Fulton develop more, I think, is in zone. But I think in terms of a pure man coverage corner, breaking on in-breaking slants or out-breaking routes, this guy has a lot of good anticipation and short area quickness to kind of react to the in-and-out breaks of those routes. So I'm really – intrigued by Fulton this year. I think he's not going to be a flashy cornerback prospect. He's Trayvon Diggs, you know, with his length and playmaking ability, the NFL is probably going to like him more. I think he's more athletic than Fulton is, but same in terms of long speed. But in terms of Fulton's ability, his man's covered skill set translates to the NFL. I don't think there's a cornerback in the nation, probably other than Jeffrey Okuda, 
who's more suited for NFL snaps tomorrow than LSU's Christian Fulton. He doesn't get the hype of, of Derek Stingley because he's not as physically gifted. But Fulton, in terms of just a man cover skill set, is ready to go in the NFL tomorrow. And I think a team like the Dolphins, who need immediate help at cornerback, their quarterback depth chart is terrible. I mean, Nick Needham yeah. is starting from that cornerback. So the Dolphins are going to be a team that is not searching for a developmental guy. They need a guy that can play right away for them. And Christian Fulton fits in that kind of mold late in the first round. So I think Fulton still has a lot of value. And, and you know, you said it, he's not really standing out this year. But I think that's a good thing because the, um, we watched the All-22, you watched the coaches tape rate at the wider angles. You can see this guy is locked down on his guy each time he's in coverage. And it's a good thing he's not getting notoriety because usually when cornerbacks get notoriety, it's either because of interceptions or because they're giving up touchdowns. Right. And right now he doesn't have the interceptions. And you know he's not getting a touchdown because he's not getting the notoriety. So for me, it's a good thing. And I think Fulton had a great year this year. Yeah, and it makes sense. And one area I do want to see Fulton improve on is just finding the ball in flight. I think he has some troubles with getting his head around as far as finding the ball as opposed to playing the receiver's hands all the time. And maybe that's just something that he's taught. We'll never know. Uh, But just the way you see Derek Stingley anticipate when he sees the receiver reach up for the ball, he'll turn his head around and get his eyes on the ball and find it in flight. So that's something I want to see Fulton improve upon the most. And I think if he's able to do that, I think he's definitely going to be a complete corner. And by far, I think he's going to be around one selection as long as he runs really well, which I think he will. So uh, enough about that game. We have another one that we need to get to, which I think is the headliner matchup of the entire college football playoff, the first round, I should say. And that's between Ohio State and Clemson. I mean, you talk about so many intriguing matchups in this. I could spend five minutes listing all the individual matchups that we can talk about in this game. But I think by far the biggest one Definitely is going to be uh, the Ohio State defensive backs against the Clemson receivers. Uh, T. Higgins, Justin Ross, the list goes on and on. Jeffrey Okuda, Damon Arnett, Sean Wade. That is going to be a heavyweight fight to me, and I just cannot wait to watch it. And there's plenty of other individual matchups that I'm sure you want to get into as well. Justin Fields going against this entire defense as a whole as well. Uh, but just what are some individual matchups that you're looking forward to the most and maybe some prospects that you would be having an eye on in this game? Man, I cannot wait for this game. There are so many headlines here. Yeah, think so about many. It. I don't know if it, you say you don't follow high school football a lot, but I think you would know that like, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were far and away the number one two prospects coming out yeah. of their class. Yep. And they their careers have been always tied together. And so I think it's so interesting that you know that undefeated teams led by both Fields and Lawrence are going toe to toe in the college football playoff to see who's going to pro- presumably play LSU for the title. This is so intriguing because Fields and Lawrence, like I said, their careers have been tied together and it's led to this point and a culmination. I cannot wait to see it. Watching them side-by-side going toe-to-toe, it's going to be so fascinating to watch. And then, we mentioned prospects side-to-side. How about J.K. Dobbins and Travis Etienne? These are both top prospects in the 2020 draft. These guys, I I think, are going to be, you know, on the top of most draft boards at the position. So scouts are going to want a good, are going to get a good look at watching those guys side to side by side. Is when these big teams play each other, when these big prospects play against each other, it's not necessarily J.K. Dobbins versus, I guess, the Clemson linebackers like Isaiah Simmons or the Clemson defensive line like Xavier Thomas and those boys, and it's not Travis Etienne versus Ohio State defensive line. It's more so they want to view how each of those guys played against each other side by side in the same game. And I know that that might be a little difficult to understand for some people, but scouts just see that. And whether it's like quarterbacks going against quarterbacks, like Justin Herbert versus Jacob Eason this year, it's the same thing with prospects going on either side. So I think judging these guys side by side is going to be a really interesting evaluation. 
And um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many different matchups this game. You touched on the Clemson wide receivers versus the Ohio State secondary. So many matchups there. Damon Arnett to me is one of the most underrated cornerbacks in football. I think he's one of the most improved players in college football as well, regardless of position. This guy, I think, had really a hard time trouble finding the ball. Uh, he was a penalty-ridden kind of player throughout his career. Highly criticized. But I think he's played a lot smarter. I think he's really owned it on his technique at the position. And I think because he's so athletic, I think he's really pushed his spot into day two territory, whereas opposed to the last couple of years, he's looked more like a day three selection. So this could be a jumping off pad for a lot of prospects because, as you know, the college football playoff, a lot of spotlight on you. But so many headlines from this game, none other than Justin Fields versus Trevor Lawrence. This game is a scout's dream, man. And I couldn't imagine watching this game live if you were actually there. It'd just be too hard to focus on one position just because there's so many guys on the field that are going to be playing on Sundays. And you hit the nail on the head as far as Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, them coming out. Both of them were labeled as being the top quarterback in the class. And you better believe that both of those guys are going to be on a mission to prove that they are the number one guy in that respective class. And even though quarterbacks never go against each other within games, you better believe there's going to be a friendly competition between these two to prove that they were the better guy. So I'm exact. I'm really excited to see exactly how they come out firing on all cylinders. And I think, I think LSU is still going to win the national championship, but I think this game is going to be really intriguing. I think it could be the best of the bunch. Even though I do want to see LSU against Ohio State, I think that's the one game I definitely do want to see just because I think those two are the two best teams in the country this year, even though Clemson has finished really strong. I think Ohio State is going to win this game, but it's going to be very, very close in the end just because I think they're a bit more balanced on both sides of the ball. And I think their defense is a little bit better than what Clemson's is at the present moment. But I'm not going to count Clemson out at all, especially when you have Trevor Lawrence behind center. And you definitely could see him lighting up the secondary, especially seeing what he did against Alabama last year. And I know that was last year. But Trevor Lawrence, even though he got off to a bit of a slow start this year, have you watched him the past uh, two months or so? Man, he has been firing on all cylinders. He oh, he he is looking like a top flight NFL prospect, which he, which we all expect him to be. Oh yeah, and I think one of the most underrated aspects of the game, one of those aspects that's not talked about enough, is that the winner of this Ohio State Clemson matchup, and we know that in postseasons, whether it's NFL, college basketball, NBA, whatever it is, momentum means everything. And yes. this, this is a game to where I think can be a jumping off pad for the winner of this game against LSU, presumably. And LSU, I, you know, I'm not saying LSU, you know, LSU is the best team in the nation. They proved that this year that the Heisman, you know, Coach O has done a great job this year. And it, But they don't have, like, I think they're going to be Oklahoma with ease in that first-round matchup. Or I think the winner's Oklahoma or Ohio State-Clemson matchup is going to have a ton of momentum going into the LSU game and have a lot of confidence, knowing that, okay, we beat what we think is the best team in the country. Because Clemson's the defending champs. You know, 13 and 0, whatever it was. Ohio State was just number one. They just got knocked out of number two uh, in the latest college football playoff ranking. So, like, it's, I think for each of those teams are going to feel like we beat the best team in the country. We had the momentum. We can, be, we can be a team like LSU. I think this game is so important because of that very reason. And that's why I think the national championship is going to be so intriguing, especially if LSU is in there. Because now you're thinking, well, LSU's, I think LSU is going to be the favorite in any scenario. But at the same time, the momentum gained from that Clemson-Ohio State winner is get, might push them over the top in that game. And that's going to be so intriguing to see who goes up against that team. Because I think regardless, an LSU-Clemson or an LSU-Ohio State matchup will be such a fascinating national championship to watch because all the NFL talent in there. And Trevor Lawrence was Joe Burrow. 
awesome. That would be so amazing. You would have the, you would have the number one pick, I think, in Kentucky and drafts going up against each other. I think that would be a game talked about for a long, long time. And then you have Justin Fields or, or Justin Fields versus Joe Burrow. Same kind of deal. And then Chase Young going after Joe Burrow. Uh, the matchups are so intriguing on both sides. I really don't care who wins that Clemson Ohio State game. As long as LSU's in there, that announced championship's going to be must watch. Definitely. It's going to be so long to watch. Definitely, man. It's only Monday, and you can hear just the tone in our voices and how excited we are. And there's already some bold matchups already coming out, and we'll run down that list uh, probably on tomorrow's show and just you know, give a bit of a preview as we get a bit closer to some of those games and some of the draft prospects uh, within each game as well. But uh, that is our show for today, and we just wanted to thank you guys once again for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am Jordan Reed alongside my always great co-host and Jonah Tools. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. We will be back tomorrow with plenty of other topics to discuss. Thank you guys for listening. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.